little pretty microphone. Hello and welcome to Bleachers BBC, the quarantine Q edition where I meet influential people of Berlin and check in and hear their life story and to see how it's been affected by the corona crisis of 2020. You can find more information at www.bleachesbbc.tumblr.com. We have former episodes that I'd love you to listen to and if you have any podcast listening software, don't forget to subscribe and please rate with five stars. And this afternoon, I have a very special guest with me, one of the entrants, one of the forefronts of the drag scene, the fabulous winner of Miss Cotty 2019, the Lebanese-born drag queen, drag thing, drag everything, the little pink monster that you see in the corner of the room, the sweetheart that is Cupcake. How are you doing, Cupcake? Oh my god. Uh, I'm blushing, it's so sweet. I'm um, doing great, how about you? Good, it's incredibly hot, summer came around quick. Right. yeah. <laughs> but it's a pleasure to be here, but we'll, we'll jump right in. I want to hear the story, I want to know everything. So you were brought up near Beirut, on the outskirts of uh, Beirut. How was your younger life for you? Um, I was very confused as a kid, actually. Um, I, I think I was very I was very scared the whole time. I am the youngest to four siblings. Um, so big family. Big family, yeah. Um, and actually, by the time I I would like, my mom didn't really know that she was pregnant with me until the fourth month. Wow. Um, and um, I, that story is something that I that I heard a lot as a kid, and that also like really confused me because. I think by the time that I was born, they really didn't want any more kids. Um, so, yeah, I, as a kid, I was such an introvert, mm. such an introvert. I was very, 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 very shy. Um, and I used to get bullied a lot. So for me, um, I had no friends, actually, at all when I was, when I was a kid. Um, I really struggled going out. I really struggled socializing with people. Um, so a lot of things, yeah, just didn't make sense when I was a kid. And I think it also didn't make sense to my parents. My dad um, kind of was over having kids, to be honest, by the time that I, um, that I was born. And I think, to, like, my dad thought that fatherhood is just all about making money for the family, but not really being there. Um, so a lot of times my mom would just, because um, I would complain a lot about being bored, because obviously we didn't have phones and all this luxury when, we, when I was young. Um, so she would really just kind of like push me to go out and leave the house. Because also like it was viewed very, like it was very weird to my siblings and to my mom for a boy to just like stay at home the whole time. Um, so she would kind of just push me to go out and then go spend time with my dad. And then when I go see my dad, he would just give me money and then send me away. <laughs> So that was also, that was very confusing for me because yes. um, also when I used to spend a lot of time with my mom, um, my siblings, like my older brothers would be really worried and would bully me for spending too much time with my mom and then starting to like 
just behave like her. I mean, it's complicated. It's hard. It sounds tough. Did you find any solace in it? Did you find any in the creative arts or anything? What was your way of getting through this time? I think so. I think this is definitely like why I'm still getting over that because I think this period of time, up until I was fourteen, fifteen, I had absolutely no one. Mm. Um, I think I had friends at some point. Um, when I was a bit younger, but they also all lived in the same building. Um, and that also was like very, very, very confusing for me when I was a kid because um, a lot of times they would, they would also bully me and they were my friends. They would bully me and then they would all like run away from me and go to their, um, to their homes and yeah. they would leave me and I would be like the only one who lives away from them. So also that really made me feel like um, I was an outsider. Um, so yeah, no, when I was, when I was younger, I really didn't have, I didn't have anyone actually to, um, to talk yeah, to. Yeah, yeah. And that really didn't make sense to me at all because, um, when I would get bullied by someone in school or outside in, in, in my neighborhood, um, I would think that I would just kind of like shake it off and go back home. But when I used to get bullied by my siblings, um, at home, that really made me feel very, very unsafe because um, to me back then I thought that if, if I don't feel safe at home and if I don't feel accepted at home, then how am I gonna, where am I ever gonna feel safe? Um, so it wasn't until I was, I think, 15 and this is when I started um, using the internet. I had an MSN account and I started chatting to random people yeah. and the first person that I actually became really, really close with was uh, a friend in the UK that actually, we're still friends until today, nice. but we met for the first time I think two or three years ago mm. um, and we had been friends for like nearly nine years before we actually met. And it was quite strange because it was like not even like a romantic thing, but yeah, it was yeah. like purely a friendship thing. And she was incredible. She, I was very homophobic before, um, uh, before actually I became friends with her. And I would like say really homophobic things. And um, then she really kind of just helped me come out to myself first. Brilliant, yeah. And then I came out to my best friend back then who used to go to my school. And then I came out to more friends who did not want to be friends with me. Um, but I think throughout the whole thing, I was kind of just very careful with who I was going, coming out to. And, and I mean, does a lot of the bullying, did it concentrate around the idea of you being effeminate? Yeah, or, yeah. yeah, I was so, very effeminate, yeah. yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then this coming out, did that sort of like solidify it with you? Could you take ownership of it at that point? Or was... I think I, so yeah, well, um, not really, hmm. because coming I mean, you're out. you're young, it's hard. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. No, you coming come out, out 16, absolutely. like, hey, girl. <laughs> yeah, I wish it was that easy, because coming out to yourself is also like things that, you, you know, it's, it's just also something that you don't understand, mm. because when I was young, I had all these dreams about like, you know, growing older and having a family mm. and, and, and just living, living life like all the other lives that I've seen. So when I started feeling like, you know, when I started having wet dreams about men or, and I just didn't understand. And I, and I also, I have a huge history in sexual abuse 
Um, so people really started telling me that I was gay before I knew that I was actually mm. gay. Mm. And that, and like, I still remember the first time my cousin called me gay, um, actually more like faggot in Arabic. So I ran to my mom and I started crying and I didn't even know what the word meant, but I knew that it was, it was an insult directed mm. at me. Um, so this all really didn't make sense to me. And I feel like it was unfair because I would have loved to obviously experiment with my sexuality and like go through this phase of having, I don't know, dating women or having sex with women. But um, I was very effeminate when I was young. Mm. And um, yeah, this, is, this was just yeah, something yeah. also that I really hated in myself. Um, I was also like, I was a little cute kid. So when I would be in places and, and you know, I think, it, I think it just kind of really made, made me hate myself. It made me hate my voice. And when I went to a, a, an acting school, this was also such a challenge for me. And it still is sometimes to just be really at peace with my voice and, and, and feel comfortable. Um, so, yeah. Yeah. And I mean, how do you feel culturally it was affected? Obviously... Uh, the laws in Lebanon, how are they standing right now? And well, obviously the Pride March hasn't yeah, come about. How mm -hmm. was it culturally to sort of come out at the age of 16? Was this even culturally, how was that? Well, so like at the age of 16, I, my dad had died at the age of 15. Mm. And then I got, I got sent to an Islamic school uh, because I was con like... When you, so I was an orphan, um, and then I didn't have to pay for school because my family was really poor. Um, and this is when I obviously started struggling with my sexuality a lot. Um, I was very depressed, very, very depressed. Like, uh, I remember back then we had, obviously didn't have a lot of websites going on, so I had paint, and I would just draw a lot of, like, colorful things on, on paint and, like, things that are kind of, like, not a man, not a woman. Uh... And my sister would see them a lot of times and she would, she would jokingly say, this is you. Mm. And that really hurt me when I was, when I was a kid mm. because I felt like, yeah, you don't realize that I'm trying to tell you that this is actually me. Mm. Um, um, away from the fact that I used to play with, with Barbie dolls when I mm. was a kid a lot and, you know, in front of my siblings, that, that was okay. They would let me do that, but in front of guests, I, I wouldn't. So coming out to my mom was something that I'm very grateful that I did at the age of 16, because if I didn't do it at the age of 16, it would have, it would have been very hard to do it later. Um, and I feel like the fact that my mom knew kind of also just made me, like, not give a fuck about anyone else knowing. Yeah. Um, I... Um, sat my mom down one time and I was very depressed and I said, well, remember when I told you, when my dad was sick and I told you I wanted to see um, a psychologist, that I was like, why do you think I wanted to see? I mean, obviously I used it, but I, I, didn't, I didn't think that I want to see a psychologist because I, you know, I wanted to become straight, but I used it as, you know, as, because I knew how she thought. Um, so I said, why do you think I wanted to see a, a psychologist? Well, you know how everyone talks about our neighbor, that he's this and he's that? Mm. 
She's like, yeah, but he's married now. I'm like, okay, but doesn't mean that it's still not there. So then eventually she got it. Yeah. Uh, she cried a lot, mm. which was very hard for me because I felt very guilt-tripped, actually. Um, she wasn't aggressive about it. Um, and she never told anyone, actually, which I think because I have friends of mine I'm actually a friend of mine whose mom told his brothers and that really put him in a lot of troubles. And I think back yeah. then, maybe my brothers weren't in a position that they could understand. Um, but my mom tried to actually send me to conversion therapy and we happened to, we happened to go to a very homophobic one, actually, that I didn't know back then. And she really tried to convince me that... I could change, and I think at, at that time I was on a level of self-acceptance that I was strong enough to say, actually, the only person that I want you to persuade is my mom, mm. and I want you to talk to my mom. Um, so I only had three sessions with her, um, but I was still depressed. I was very depressed. I didn't want to go to school anymore. I had three more years to graduate and I moved school every year as well because I was getting bullied every year um, and my mom kind of also just slept on it didn't want to talk about it mm. um, until she caught me on webcam with someone one day and yeah. that was I think that was very traumatizing for her yeah. um, to see that I think she thought that if she sleeps on it then it kind it of just, just imaginally disappear. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But when she saw that I was actually still practicing my sexuality, um, she, she then said, just because I don't talk about it doesn't mean that I'm okay with it. Mm. Um, and then I, you know, obviously, I, I started rebelling against my family. I started, you know, just getting, you know, my, the, the own hairstyle, my own hairstyle that I want and all this dressing the way that I want to. And that put me at risk when I, when I used to go out, yes. Yeah. Um, and then I started, did I, I think I started working at the age of 18. And when I started kind of being more financially independent, this is when I kind of would have huge fights with my mom. And I would say, if you don't like the way I am, then you can just kick me out. I have money in my bank account and I can leave. Mm. Um, and I think this kind of, confrontational attitude with her just kind of put her in a, in a position that yeah she, she never kicked me out of the house I mean I think I'm very obviously lucky that my my, my family never really kicked me out of the house um, there's a sort of like painful love there like they yeah. wouldn't do the worst but they're yeah. doing just about enough yeah and also the fact that my dad died at the age of, like when I was 15 um I don't know how it would have been if my dad was still alive, you know? Because mm. um, obviously I think moms are, I think in my opinion, moms are more loving. Um, so that brings you on, I mean, your fucking horrendous situation there and you like fight through it. You say obviously it drags, it, it's quite a depressive situation. You lose your dad, you're sort of fighting this coming out situation, then you move on to theatre. And yeah. do you find some release there? Do you find yourself at home on the stage? Um, I did a lot, actually, yeah. Um, 
when I when I was there, I did a lot. Um, I'm also. So, I, I mean, it was it was very hard for me when I graduated. Um, but when I was at uni, it was art school is a whole different thing. Honestly, like if you survive art school, you can literally survive anything else because um, it's one. It's very competitive, and I was very competitive. Um, well, um, so I. Uh, had a huge fight with my family when I graduated high school. I was um, I was literally the only one in my family that actually went past ninth grade. And uh, I, when when I graduated, they just, they just wanted me to go to business school, and that was not even an option for me. I knew that I wanted to go to an acting school, um, and then I auditioned, and I did not get in, and that. I was very, very disappointed. I remember I cried a lot, honestly, um, because I was very ashamed um, that I had fought with my family and I couldn't even prove that I, um, I was worthy of getting in that university. But I was lucky that I was actually on the waiting list. Um, and like exceptionally that year, they had ac accepted 22 students and it was actually the 22nd. Which was also like what when I went there I was very I was very shy I was very beaten down I was like I'm not good, which actually made me really work even harder and then um, and then I was just getting the one of the highest grades um, and I really proved myself I proved my talent I would you know I would do my shows and people would come to me and be like you were great you were this you were that but I think um, I still really hadn't dealt. Um, with my sexuality well back then. I was open. Uh, it was very clear to my teachers as well that I, I was gay, which um, made me lose a lot, actually. I was, I was typecasted a lot. I, I was always in this, like, weak roles or um, someone who's, who's, who's sexually abused. Who's, um, and I felt like back then I didn't have the courage or knowledge to demand to be treated um, equally um, and I also had this dream that I you know I was going to an art school it was gonna be full of faggots and so on yeah. it wasn't really no it was still hard and um, I mean I you must have learned a lot we all know you're gorgeous bloody actors now so yeah. <laughs> I mean it was worth the training um, I guess that brings us nicely to your first song, a song about like your former self, your younger self. What song oh, yeah. have you chosen? So this song actually is um, is one of the. It's actually one of my favorite songs ever, and uh, it's by Elisa, who's a Lebanese singer. And I remember that I I really admired the singer a lot when I was young. Uh, and she's kind of one of my biggest inspirations uh, when I was younger. She's quite problematic now. <laughs> What's she gonna do? She, she, ha she has one. She's very. She's 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 something. But no, that song is is definitely. Um, I I love it. Let's hear it, Elisa. I'm gonna pronounce it terribly wrong. I I'll correct you. Go. Ayashalaka. Ayashalak. Ayashalak. From two thousand and twelve. No, that's that's when it went on YouTube. I think, <laughs> I think it was probably like two thousand and three or something. Oh, whoops! Oh, she's gorgeous. I shall look at the 
This is all I want to do with it. Yeah, no, it's stunning. I think this is obviously what we, we're all like talking about when we talk about our traumas and you know, um, it's not something that obviously I've removed, you can't, and it's, it's a lot of things that keep like, you know, rising up to the top and I keep dealing with them, um, but I mean, you have two choices, you either keep battling for you to the rest of your life or I mean, every moment was come to this moment right here, so it's like you're standing on the building rocks of trauma. It's like you're standing strong. <laughs> so that was your first choice on the quarantine cure on Bleachers like it? BBC. It was gorgeous. What a fabulous diva. And I mean, she looks stunning. I'll make sure everyone gets to see it later. Yeah, yeah. If you click on the right button, the smoky eyes. And I mean, there's sort of this theatrical time, this theatrical part of yourself, it sort of developed. In school, or did you feel like you had it always as a child? I think I had it always as a child. Um, I, I think I was, I was very creative as a child. I would always just kind of gather my cousins and, and my, my brother, and I would force them to produce a play. And I would buy juice and then force people to watch and then just kind of, like, give them juice so they could stay. <laughs> um, no, I think I was very creative as a child. And I, was, I used to draw um, also when I was a child and just 
do all these like arts and crafts and stuff. Um, so I had it all in me. And then when I was a teenager, I wanted I wanted to do like I was thinking of what I was gonna do when I when I got to uni, and I and I realized that everything revolved around arts. And then um, a lot of people would always tell me, "Oh, you should be an actor," because then I would like role play in front of people a lot, and I would say that you're such a good actor. And I was like, "Well, maybe I will be." Yeah, nice. Um, and then I. <laughs> There, I went to an acting school. Um. And then, I mean, after that, you obviously learned like, the materials of acting. Um, mm -hmm. Did you get the chance to put it into practice when you were there in Lebanon? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I, acted, uh, I acted in a few things, actually. I acted in, in short movies that some of them actually won awards and were screened here in Europe. Um, I was in plays. Um, yeah, I did some commercials. I was going to castings. Um, but then I just realized that after a while, like after I graduated, um, going to castings was very overwhelming for me because it was full of pretentious people and mostly like basically models. Um, they weren't really looking for talents most of the times. And then on the other side, it was um, if I wanted to go more in, into theater or, or, or film, I... Um, I felt like I would need to change the way that I behave, that I would need to act more masculine, and I felt like this was something that I really couldn't do. Plus, I was very focused on, on leaving, on leaving um, Lebanon, so... And I mean, you were given that opportunity with a leadership program in the right. States. Yeah. I had applied to that program, actually, I think when I was about to graduate. Mm. And it was something that I really didn't think that I would get accepted in. They interviewed around 600 people mm. and they only chose six. And I remember they like sat us, like we were kind of divided into groups and they sat us all around the table and we kind of had, to, we had like two minutes to discuss an issue and then come up with um, like the, 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 the reasons for this issue and the solutions and all that. And I remember that I knew nothing about the issue. I don't even remember what it was. But the only thing that I was doing is that I was facilitating the, the, the discussion between them. And I think this is what drew their attention. Um, and then I was selected to go to the U.S., um, and, and I mean, this is first time abroad, you're in America. Second time. First Second time, time First abroad. time I went to Jordan by myself, I mean, mm. on my own, yeah. yeah but yeah. Uh, it was literally, yes, my, yeah, yeah. my first time to a Western country, uh, so to say. Um, and how was that? Um, unreal. Yeah. Um, in the beginning, I really couldn't believe it. Um, you know, growing in a country that is very, like, codependent on, on, on American culture and which I kind of also, like, then I realized that it, it's total bullshit which I hate, but, like, um, I was very, yeah, it was very overwhelming. I really couldn't believe it. Um, and then we had, we, well, we had a lot of classes, so also we, we didn't have, um, the program's actually bullshit because we didn't, <laughs> We didn't have the freedoms. They would even like schedule classes on Sunday mm. because they, they didn't want us to go anywhere outside the state by ourselves because they were afraid that we'd just kind of stay there and claim asylum and not come back. So, which actually one person ended up doing it in the end and left all his stuff in the hotel and left. Um, but yeah, it, 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 was, it was a life-changing experience for mm. me, to be honest. It opened my eyes to a lot of things 
Um, and I mean, they were were they trying to present a positive view of America? Oh, yeah. And trying to sell it to you? Yeah, And sell yeah. it back to Lebanon? Yeah, otherwise they wouldn't pay a lot of money. Did, and did that succeed in any way? Um, not in anyone I know <laughs> in my program. No, we would literally like, so we would literally just kind of like all gather and then, and then talk about them in Arabic and then criticize everything they're doing. Um, no, I don't think, to be honest, I don't think it, I mean, it, I, it could have succeeded yeah. obviously with some people, but like generally we were very aware of what they're trying to do because the, I mean, hello, we share a very, uh, we all have trauma caused by the U.S. So, mm-hmm. like, I think for the U.S. to clear their guilt in, in, in the Middle East is quite a hard thing to do. So I don't think anyone was buying mm-hmm. it. And a lot of class, we would discuss, like, why don't we, like... Also, like, in a lot of ways, we were kind of quite annoyed at them. Like, they took us to a dinner one time at someone's house, and they would tell us... Um, uh, when we finish eating, we take our plates and cutlery and take them to the kitchen. And we just kind of like all looked at each other and like, are you trying to teach us culture? Like, yeah, 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 yeah. what do you think we do in, in, in our, like, actually we wash the dishes in our culture. Um, so it was kind of like quite ridiculous for me because a lot of them also d- like were working in this program for such a long time, but didn't even know how to deal with... Um, with us culturally so like for example like homesickness and things like that Mm. they they just wouldn't know how to deal with it Mm. so I find it quite like actually stupid that they really just didn't they weren't prepared like that I mean yeah it sounds completely ridiculous from the get go but I got to go to the States (laughs) yeah you got to go to to Disneyland I went to Disneyland (laughs) I went to New York I went to Washington DC so hello I mean good time yeah and then obviously you return to Lebanon and then you have this period at an art museum, you're working. Right. How have you sort of like consolidated your sort of sexuality at this point? Can you practice your sexuality? Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. I, was, I, was, I, was, I was a total faggot back then. And you then. had yeah, good fun and this was all positive. Yeah. No. Had, yeah. I mean, at the museum, they only really hired gay, gay men. So, yeah. Um, wasn't really a rule, but it just happened that everyone <laughs> working there was gay. And uh, also, like, everyone was just kind of open about mm. it. And, yeah, I think back then, uh, yeah, life was, was a lot better for me, obviously. Mm. I mean, I, w- I would still get harassed on the streets, and, you know, I would be selective with who to tell. But I think at that point, I wasn't coming out anymore. Like, it would, like I would just kind of happen to be in a, in a place and someone hot would pass by and it would be like, oh, that's yeah, a hot yeah. man. And everyone would get it. Nice. Well, well, that's good to hear. Then obviously you start to, you aim for Berlin. Is it a sight in mind? I, so I came here um, in summer of 2016 for one month. I did a German course here, wanted to treat myself. And I wanted to repeat the same experience that I had in the States. Mm. So it was a year after. And I think I had a feeling here that I didn't have in the States of that I could make it here. Um, And I fell in love, although 
really, I was just spending time at Alexanderplatz, a place <laughs> that I would never go to right now <laughs> unless there's a demo. But uh, um, I, I had a very, like, very shallow, stupid touristic experience here, actually, when I came. But I still felt very at home, mm. so to say. Um, and so it wasn't yeah. the was it the clubbing experience or was it the no you were, you were seeing no you were seeing the Brandenburg game I think I remember I went to Schwutz um, one time and I literally passed out an hour <laughs> after I I was not like I'm still not much of a clubber but like no it wasn't I didn't have that experience of like going to Berka I've only been to Berkheim once <laughs> I really want to go but like I'm just I, I don't like queuing yeah. um, no it wasn't actually I think it was the culture I think it was the fact like the, the, that I saw people of different colors different ethnic backgrounds different languages um, that really what attracted me to, to Berlin to be honest and I mean, on that visit, you met your to-be husband. Right. So this is when I started dating a guy, and then we had a long-distance thing. And the long-distance thing didn't make any sense. So it was like, well, Germany needs more people. Yeah. And I was like, <laughs> they sure do. <laughs> and yeah, then we just worked out all the legal papers, and I moved here and there. And you left Lebanon. How was leaving Lebanon? It was hard for me. It was, mm. I was very excited. Um, and I hadn't really thought it through much, to be honest. And I'm glad I didn't, because I think if I did, then I would have... I wouldn't, maybe I wouldn't have done it. Maybe I would have been scared. Um, but I remember I had packed all my stuff. And it was something that I knew that I was going to do all my life. And... Um, I didn't even tell anyone that I was actually leaving for good. Um, not even quit my job. Didn't tell my, my family. I told them I was going to Germany for three months and I'm coming back. And then in my second, my second month here, I just kind of called my mom and I said, you know what, I'm actually not coming back. Mm. Um, and I quit my job and I started basing my life here. Nice. And I mean, you settled down here, then we start seeing you on the scene, or drag scene, around 2018. Right. Mm -hmm. How was it from, like, landing here, getting into the German culture? You know German? Uh, yes, that to a German certain level. Yes, I did. I, 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 no, well, I, I did learn German in the beginning. I, I had to, yeah, yeah. Uh, because of visa regulations. Mm. Um, and so, yes... Um, I think, sprechen die Deutsch. Ah, sehr gut. <laughs> Nein, I don't speak a word. <laughs> um, I can tell off someone in German if Go I have on. to, which is the best thing ever, because when you get annoyed at someone who's, who's racist or whatever on the train, you mm. can just basically snap at them, and this is the most useful <laughs> thing ever, actually. Um, yeah, um, but I think when I first came here as well, obviously escaping, because... And I'm, 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 I'm obviously underlining the word escaping. Mm. I escaped Lebanon, and... Um, for me, I thought that when I came here, I would be German, mm. that I would kind of get rid of my Lebanese self and then become German. And then obviously by time I just, that proved me wrong. And I was kind of disappointed by that. 
um, because I had quite unrealistic expectations and Germans don't make it very easy for you as well. <laughs> so I realized I'll never be German, mm. which also kind of at some point pushed me away uh, a bit from the language, to be honest. I'm still kind of intending in the future to get back to it. But for now, I can get by, yeah, mm. which is enough. So uh, how do we get you from, like, where do we get you at Cupcake? When do you start interacting with drag? So, like, did you feel drag when you were doing theatre and back in Beirut? Or was it sort of a learning process when you landed in Berlin? I think, I think to be honest, Cupcake was always in me. Um, I still have photos and videos of myself when I when I was at uni and I was just kind of dress up and I had names even like for my alter egos and I think that like it was kind of a safe space for me I wish I had incorporated that more into into theater and into like what I was actually doing back then but um, it was only until um, I came here and I then obviously started discovering the art of drag um, I had gone to one drag show in New York when I was visiting um, and I never, I don't know, I never thought that that was something that I would do in that sense. Um, I've always loved makeup. Ever since I was a kid, I would do my mom's makeup. But for me, the biggest challenge was um, getting in touch with, with my own gender, which is obviously something that I think every person who starts doing drag has to do before, obviously... Um, just puts on a wig mm, and, you know, mm. uses very offensive terms like fish or be woman or mm. things like that. So for me, it was kind of being comfortable, being like when I go outside wearing eyeliner or wearing makeup. Um, and then I started doing drag makeup. Um, I really thought I wasn't going to get better at it in the beginning. Um, and it wasn't my main focus. I think my, my main focus in the beginning was performing, which was also very scary for me because coming from a theatrical background where you, where you plan each thing you're doing, where you, where you rehearse a lot, and then in comparison, drag is very, it's such a free uh, art form yeah. that was very scary for me to just kind of let go. And it still is sometimes. Uh, when I feel like I'm underprepared, I get really scared. Um, and then I started performing, actually yes. shortly, like a month after I started doing um, drag makeup. I mean, I saw you on the Dragaholic stage with Judy, and then we actually right. performed together with the graduation. And then it sort of just came on leaps and bounds with uh, Queens Against Borders. You started working at Schwartz and sort of really got deep within the drag yeah. scene. Yeah. Was then it I exciting just kind of dived, yeah. dived into it, and suddenly I, I couldn't be anonymous anymore. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Would get people writing me on Grindr <laughs> knowing who I am and that. Yeah. It was very overwhelming at some point, but yeah. Um, it was good fun. It yes, yes. You um, started to build. You started to build cupcake in a sense. Yeah, yeah. And and, and it, it it has also been a journey for me, like to just kind of also discover, like you know, my drag aesthetics, what I what I wanted to be, my gender. I mean, it, it hasn't just been like um, cupcake on stage, but also cupcake out of drag. Mm. And you know, um, it still is very, it's still an 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 experiment that is going on for me, and like a journey that I'm learning more about my own body. And and it's sometimes I I when I take off my drag and I look at myself in the mirror. I have this weird gender dysmorphia and I just don't understand what is going on. Mm. Um, so it's... It's a constant it's a learning. It's a lot of something. Constant, yeah. constant learning. And then obviously, like, you started to create your own stuff. You work with uh, 
Persia with right. Hera, and I, I spoke to Persia earlier in this. And then, uh, but we get on to queer Arab party. Party, party yeah. Um, How was that? Because obviously you talked about sort of connecting with German, but now you're connecting back with your your home self and connecting with people within yeah. the city on that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think this obviously... For us, this is something when you, I think when you've taken this space and then you realize that we were pushed out of celebrating our own culture um, and you realize that a lot of people in this life are very privileged to be anywhere around the world and still celebrate their own culture, but we have to be careful we have to we have to just be selective with what we portray and so on this was something that still doesn't make sense to me uh, at all like even sometimes when i play arabic music in front of some people who don't who don't speak arabic in my in my head sometimes i feel a bit um dare i say ashamed that they would think um that the music is insert whatever adjectives people mm. have said over the years. So for me, this was something that I felt like I really want to reclaim. And like just the first song, like the first song that mm. I played, this was one of the very famous um, prominent figures that I admired a lot as a kid. Um, and just remembering that I used to be by myself in the bathroom and like singing their songs and just being all effeminate and like free. Um, this is, I think, personally, for me, what started Queer Arab Bharti. Mm. And, but what, the main reason why this started is obviously realizing that CSD had a major lack mm. of Arab representation, despite the fact that there's a huge um, Arabic community here in Berlin. And then with a friend of mine, we kind of were just talking about it one time, and we, we spoke about the fact that we don't see ourselves represented in, in, in this gay pride parade. There's only N26 and other H&M and I don't know what else. It's um, <laughs> yeah. So, um, so we actually really wanted to do something in that, in that uh, year. I think it was 2018, 2019, mm. 2019 maybe. Uh, yeah, 2019. And... It was very hard to plan because, you know, Germans, you have to register and all that and then rent speakers and so on. But then we did actually then uh, throw a party the day before. Um, and it was major success. Uh, we were a group of five that we put everything together. And then we were like, well, we want this to happen again. Yeah. And then we did it again and again. And then Corona happened and then... Uh, shut down kind of stopped everything. everything. Shut down everything. But um, yeah, it was very beautiful to see that also this was a party run by Arabs, organized by Arabs, mm. knew what kind of music was actually played there. We put a lot of effort in the, in the music that, that we selected as well. And then obviously the DJs that we worked with and so on. Um, and that was, you know, going to other Arab or what they call Middle Eastern parties mm here in, Ber- in Berlin, um, a lot of times we were just kind of also really confused. We were like, this is not, I mean, this music yeah, is yeah, not yeah. Arabic music, <laughs> but yeah, they still sometimes advertise it as Arabic music. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So the whole concept of like putting us all under one tree, mm. um, one umbrella, not tree, I hope 
yeah. Um, that that was that was something actually. And taking that, back control and making that space for yourselves. Yes. Gorgeous. Obviously, that uh, is I think one of the yeah. Yeah, I mean. It was beautiful. Yeah. I fortunately I didn't get to go. I hope it comes yeah. back after Corona. Hopefully, yeah. I mean, clubs I mean, are struggling, but yeah. we'll parties. Are, I, I mean, our parties were literally open for everyone. So, mm. yeah, people we can had fun. To that. People had fun. Yeah. And then, obviously, I mean, this time, like I said, you were queers against borders, queens against borders, and we saw Hera developing with uh, Persia, but the big, the big cookie on the crumble. There it comes. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> you build it up. You were working with Bubba Sababa on outfits. You clearly had a vision from the get-go. Yeah, your promo yes. picture with your gorgeous hair slicked around and your pink little jacket. How was this build-up? How was this journey into Cupcake? Into um, Cotting? <laughs> oh, God. Uh, very exciting one. Uh, actually, very exciting one. Yes. Uh, I think from the beginning when I was asked to be in it, um, a year before that, uh, I think that's when Godex won. Mm. I mean, I had seen the, the two ones before, but like when, when Godex won, I had actually just started doing drag. Mm. And I think I was with, with Persia back then, there, or we had spoken about it. We, we were both there. And we kind of just mentioned how wonderful it would be to, to do it mm. next year. And, and then I got asked to be in it. And I think from that point, I thought to myself that I will do the best I can to represent and show what Cupcake is. And if people get it and I don't win, great. Mm. If people didn't get it, then maybe I would need to do more. <laughs> um, so starting from the fact that I prepared for the promo photo, I, did, I specifically did not want to wear a wig because this is the time when I started also coming to terms that I like using my own hair and drag. I, I, don't, I don't shave, I, don't, I do bearded looks sometimes. Uh, and then also the type of makeup that I, that I started doing that I wasn't aiming to look hyper feminine mm. or sell any female illusion or any of that so I think this is when I started discovering that drag for me was about celebrating the the feminine side of me but also the masculine one as yeah. well um, and then I started working with Booba on my outfits I had very clear visions on, on what I wanted to do um, and it was actually it was it was a very 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 fun uh, process because this is one thing that I really loved is, and I still really love, is collaborating with, with other people. And Bubo was very helpful. She built on a lot of ideas that I had. And um, yeah, I, I think at that point I was like, okay, I either go big or I just, you know. And I mean, it was a great success. The first look you came out in the burka yeah. to reveal to a full pink body. Yeah. The full cupcake pink look all the way through. And then uh, great took a lot of pain. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> took days to take off. Yeah, I mean it must um, have been a fabulous evening, and you were there with tough competition, of course. My lover, Camp Dad. Yeah, and a array of obviously the rest yeah. of the drag scene, and then you yeah. won. How was this moment of confirmation after like struggling and getting there and winning? Um, you know, sometimes when you're on stage and you, obviously, I think us performers are. 
we learn to, to act confident, um, despite us, for example, being either introverts or... Um, it was very strange for me because I think throughout the whole process, I was very, like, every time I was on stage, I kept telling myself, enjoy it. Mm. I just wanted to enjoy it. And uh, I was confident every time I was presenting something. And then the moment it was not my turn anymore, I would just really want to escape. I would just want to get off stage. I just, I felt like I was very shy. So when I won, and then I realized that that attention was all directed at me, um, it really overwhelmed me. I just, mm, mm. I really didn't, I didn't want to dance. There are videos of me with goddesses <laughs> trying to get me to dance and I just didn't want to do it because I was very shy. And I just, I was very grateful yeah, yeah, yeah. for everyone and I was very happy, but I just really wanted to be by myself back then. <laughs> and also because I was just also instantly met with my inner demons. Mm. And I was instantly, I had these two scenarios going on that I sadly cannot share this with my mom and my family mm. and I cannot just kind of show them, hey, look what I just achieved. Like yeah. I won this big thing and people are looking at me. And then on the other side, I had all these voices inside my head telling me, you don't deserve this. And this is something like a few months after that was something that I was battling with um, for a long time until actually one time I was backstage in Schwitz and Vivian was there and I don't know I think we, that was also like the first time I think it was one month actually after that's the first time that I, mm. that I went out and people were con congratulating me and I wasn't owning it I was very shy I, um, and this is something I still struggle with in my life with every success I do I don't feel like I own it um, and I feel like I'm not entitled to really celebrate that success. So then she just like sent me a message the day after and she says, girl, you really have to own your own mm. um, success and, and your own win because you deserve it. Um, and that's kind of when I like sat with myself and I think by time I um, went through everything that I presented on stage and I fully accepted that I deserve to win mm. or that I won or that what I did was good. And right. it's, it takes a lot of effort to really tell your, uh, congratulate yourself sometimes on something good that you've done and tell yourself, I did good and I, I deserve to rest a bit as well. No, you presented Cupcake gorgeously and it was a gorgeous competition. And obviously it's like a heightened, it's this massive thing that everyone watches and then talks about right. and like delves about and it becomes a moment. It's a, it's a pansy production. It's a pansy it's, production, it's yeah. Be, it's gonna and be. it had also obviously major talents like Hamdad yeah. and you know Haidar and Vivian and Antina and everyone else. Um, it was a good show. Yeah, people Very were like, <laughs> people were like honestly, everyone is so good. Um, but it's it's beautiful to see so so much representation mm. in, in, in 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 a competition like this, and I just wish we could see it on TV, mm. honestly, because I think I think it's important. Um, and it's fun. It's more fun to watch. Yeah, yeah, definitely, definitely. <laughs> there you was. You had therapy session two times, two therapy sessions a week, two, monthly yeah. show. You're working with Hera. You just won Cody, and then here comes Corona and drags it out of your hands. How was that? I was not very 
nervous in the beginning. Uh, I was worried about my health. Mm. I really thought I would. I, I was gonna die. I was. I was really was one of those people. Like, are you was, a drama queen? I, I was. <laughs> well, um, oh, you can you can just ask for it. I would like send her messages, and I would say I would send my friends messages. Say if I get it, I'm gonna die. I have a weak immune system. I can't. And f- literally for about like one month in the beginning, I thought I had it all the time. I but that that's that's good because it kept me at home. Mm. Um, I thought everything was going to go back to normal, actually, to be honest, in like two months or something. Um, and I feel like I'm still not in a position to just be selfish about this. And, you know, obviously with everything that is happening in this world and so on. Yeah, it did destroy literally all my plans. Um, and I had, um, I was very excited about this year. I was very, um, I had a lot of energy in me. I had a lot of ideas that I wanted to do. Um, but hey, we're all in this together, yeah. so... We're getting through it. We're yeah. working on it. And I mean, that brings us on nicely to a song to represent the moment right now in the middle of a COVID-19 situation right. where all our work, all our jobs and all those gigs were taken away from you. Yeah. What have you chosen for yourself? Um, actually, <laughs> the song that I've chosen is the second song that uh, Persia performed. Um, and it's a song that Persia performed in the second therapy session. Mm. And I don't know why I found myself really singing that song um, a lot these days. Maybe because I'm a little bit in love. Um, (laughs) And there, it's so hot, you're hurting my feelings. By Caroline Polshek. You're Hurting My Feelings by Caroline Polacek. Cupcake's second choice on the quarantine queue in a moment to sort of summarise Corona and quarantine. I mean, you mentioned that you were locked inside for the good sides of Corona. The good sides of The bright side of Corona. Of, of, uh, uh, you did those first few weeks locked up. You were so what's it called? You were you were caring about your health. You didn't want to get caught. You were scared and, you were uh, gonna people's die. People's health as well. Of sure. course, you are a yeah. caring person. I yeah, think. I try. <laughs> I try. How was life? How did you get through the days? Um, it was great mm-hmm. uh, in the beginning um, because it kind of also pushed me to really just take a break. Um, 
from socializing as well. And I realized that uh, I really needed it. Um, I realized that also I, I had reached a point in my life where my personality was changing a bit as well. Um, there were a lot of things socially that would that would trigger me um, that I wouldn't wouldn't really like kind of know I, I didn't know at the time actually um, so as everyone else I was oh my god this is the time <laughs> to care about myself yeah. I'm gonna start doing yoga I'm gonna start learning Spanish I'm gonna do this and do that um, uh, which I did in the beginning. I still do yoga, which is great. That's like also one of the good things that I took from there. I like started doing yoga every day. Um, and also I just kind of wanted to experiment more with makeup, um, my creativity in, in, in just kind of building more different aesthetics, um, rebranding cupcakes somehow. Um, yeah, it was it was it was good. It was good. The I would say. Time to self reflect and work on work on yourself. Did you feel like you got? <laughs> did you feel like a nice like a nice moment to um, sort of like repackage and see yourself within no, the definitely. world? definitely. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Yeah. Um, I think even also um, taking a break from well, then from dating people as mm. well, just kind of really forced this break on me, and it really gave me this. Life kind of stopped. I mean, it did yeah, yeah. stop for a lot of people, <laughs> but like it stopped for me, and uh, and it just made me. It made me appreciate like the the little things that I do in, in my in my daily life, um, and um, yeah. It sounds really good, and I mean, the world was really sh shaken and. It was a confusing time, a lot of people got scared, and now we seem to be coming out with, it, with quite a productive time where people are engaging with politics and maybe doing some more direct action. And I mean, as a person from Lebanon, have you seen any sort of conversations there within the Middle East? How's corona affected there? Uh, well, I don't know. I don't really know much about the other Arab countries, but... I mean, there was already a revolution happening before mm. Corona, a year before, and the, the economy was, was pretty bad. So then Corona came and um, it made things even worse. Um, and I think despite that, people recently just also went out again and started protesting. So, yeah, it's, it's, it's not good anywhere, really. Mm. And I think this is... I hope that this also just kind of reminds us that we're also responsible for making this life a better, a better place for all of us. Um, and this situation that we're going through right now with everyone um, kind of trying to be more political, mm. I hope it lasts. And I hope that people see that this is not just, um, you know, because when I used to, when I used to do my performances before, I always felt like I was excluded or I had no place because people would always view my performances as too political. And I really hope that we reach a level where we realize that we all have to be political mm. and that that cute date you went on one time with, with this person and they told you, I don't like to be political, politics is not for me, that this should not exist anymore because... I mean, everything um, is political. That's a political stance yeah. to stand there and not, a, yeah. not engage. Yeah. So, Fun fact, yeah. I actually wanted 
to study political studies at some point um, because I was also very like into that, but um, but it just didn't happen. Maybe I'll do a master's in, in it one day. Maybe. <laughs> Theatrical, political, yeah. uh, theater, dance. I mean, we didn't even touch on the movement, the dance. Right. You're uploading uh, dance videos to Instagram. You enjoy the movement. So you're yeah. not really a clubber, but you enjoy dance. I dance at home, yeah. You dance at home. <laughs> I dance at home. Yeah. You'll see me at some parties, yeah. Um, <laughs> I, 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 I'm, I'm a huge fan of, of dance, and I've, I wish I had gone this dance training as a kid. Um, um, so, yeah, I'm, I'm quite um, into dance and movement and I my plan is to start incorporating incorporating that more in, in drag and just create more of experimental and this is also why here really was formed to create these more experimental um, shows that just discover creativity beyond um, a regular lip sync not that there's anything wrong with that. But we all love a regular we all, lip sync. We all we love a lazy love, Come out of your Britney, darling. Get the gaga on. <laughs> After Depends a while. Which Britney song. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And I mean, there with politics, obviously you brought politics up in your own performances. Mm -hmm. How do you feel around the Palestine issue as a neighbour? To I think this is something that I still really want to talk about in my performances and I feel like I haven't really talked about it much but I think I've made myself clear on social media and on uh, a lot of spaces that um, where my political opinions stand and I think that it's so sad that in Berlin in specific that in the queer scene a lot of people preach for human rights and for a better world, but yet this topic is still really forgotten, and this topic is looked on as if like, oh, it's 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 something that belongs to the Middle East. We can't discuss this. We don't know much about this. Well, you don't know much about this. You can read about this. I mean, it's the easiest thing that you know. I can't meet like I I find it very strange when I meet someone these days, and because I've talked to a lot of people who have visited Israel, mm. and obviously I feel very triggered when when people say that. Um, not that they can't, but like, if you're going to visit Israel, you, you have to be aware of the political situation there. So like, I would throw just jokes and I would say things like, um, how do you enjoy the occupation? And then they would just go completely blind and say, what do you mean? And I say, and then I would explain what I, what I meant and then they would have no idea. And I'm like, how do you visit a country that... You don't even know the political situation of this is such a huge privilege that you live in that you actually get to do that. Um, so, so this is something for me that I feel like we need to talk more about in, 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 in Germany. And um, I hope I will not get in trouble because of this, obviously legally, because Germany has actually um, issued a new law that says any m movement of boycotting um, Israel or mm. can't remember the law very well is considered illegal which obviously puts a lot of people at unrest and they kind of like feel they can't really say their honest opinion about this um, but I do invite also all Israeli artists in Berlin who really also disagree with their government to talk about this because their point of view is very important because if you're not, if you're not the one to criticize your government then who else is going to do it? People will follow your lead. And when people see that you're the one who's 
who's um, same thing with 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 people from Germany, and like that's why if you can't criticize your own government and your own country in the in to begin with, you can never really criticize any other country um, mm. or any other government. I so. mean, it's a very specific issue with Berlin, obviously with its historical nature. They're like, that's I, I, very like, problematic. Like, I, yeah. it's it's a it's a muddled old mess and like a lot of people like you say don't step there don't go there don't read the books and don't get educated and talk about it yeah so it's good to be talked about yeah and then finally like I even started this interview by saying a drag queen and then jumped to drag right. thing I mean like even me here I slipped up how do you feel drag as a sort of uh, a gender performance? I mean, we stepped on like you as an effeminate child mm. and then sort of uh, developed as you talked about bearded looks, etc. How do you feel your drag is placed within a Berlin drag scene? Well, this is also, oh, well, this is actually such an important topic to discuss because this for me is, is a topic that I, in the past year, I had struggled with a lot. And I think at some point I was very passionate about correcting people and say, it's Mix Cardi, not Miss Cardi. Or like, I'm a drag performer, not a drag queen. And I feel like I have said all these things because I think when I started doing drag, um, shortly after I realized that I do not want to look like a typical woman. <laughs> and I did not want to... My point was not to pass as a woman. Um, and that kind of also just made me really anxious all the time, that thinking that I was not taken seriously. Um, I was not taken seriously as a drag performer, that my drag was not uh, valued enough. Um, and it might or might not, might not have happened, actually. But... Um, and because, obviously, of RuPaul's Drag Race and, and, and people who, who love drag, people are very, very, very impressed by the gender binary. And people, when, when, the more passing you are, the more people just kind of wow at you. Mm. And they go like, whoa, you know, you look so great. And the more you, you transform, so to say. Um, and this is something that I really hated. And I, I felt like being on quarantine also is something that I... That was something that I reflected on. And that was something that I came to kind of embrace and and accept that all the times that people called me political and I didn't like it, I love it now. I am political. Um, when, when people did not like my drag back then or like the times that I felt like I did not like my drag because it, not, it did not fit in the mainstream drag, I don't care right now. So, and I, I'm still processing these feelings and I'm still like really embracing those, those parts of me. Um, so yeah, um, as I said before, gender and drag is something that, you know, it's, it's, it's something that I'm, I'm experimenting every day and I'm experiencing every day in my daily life. And I think it's, 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 it's at, at times it's very overwhelming. Mm. Well, I mean, it's a positive message to hear that even hearing your whole story to come to this moment where you're yeah. deconstructing all those things that you've learned and bashing it around with queer A-rap party and then working within a sort of drag performer instead of drag queen. It's exciting. How do you feel about the future coming up? How do you see Berlin after Corona? Uh, people, a lot of people being really excited to go to drag shows, hopefully. Yeah. <laughs> um, not just, not just clubs. 
Um, yeah, I, I do really hope that things go back to how they used to be. I'm very hopeful about the future. Really got a lot of ideas in mind. Really want to um, just... I, I, I personally also want to experiment more in drag and I want people to get used to see different types of drag as well. And I want to take drag to places that never existed before um, as well. And also places that, you know, like the theater. I, mm. I really, I want to perform um, in a theater. I want to bring drag to, to galleries to, you know, um, it's very important also for, for us drag performers to, to be taken seriously as a type of also possibly an intellectual um, um, art form and so then we can also receive fundings mm. and things like that just like other um, you know art forms do so I mean definitely and uh, I guess that brings us on to your last song of the quarantine queue today there um, very nice one it's Arca with non-binary there the very recent song To prove it, hips to move it around and make shapes. Yes, with non-binary and that's Cupcake's final choice on the quarantine queue here at Bleachers BBC. A fabulous time Cupcake, thank you very much. Sorry if I spoke too much. <laughs> no, it was gorgeous, it was gorgeous, it was gorgeous. If we, um, if the, so, in the hypothetical situation the quarantine continued, I give you the Bible and the full works of Shakespeare and you get to choose a book of your own. What book would you choose in quarantine? Well, um, the book that I actually started reading um, and hopefully planning to continue, <laughs> yeah. uh, I'm reading about um, attachment theory and the book is called Attached. I believe it was a book actually that was recommended to me by um, Olympia. So that, or I was actually reading The Artist's Way, which is a, a book that is useful for me. Um, because I'm very ADHD and I find it very hard to like keep my focus while I'm reading. So I'll just be reading about things that kind of help me. Gorgeous. And if the quarantine some reason locks us in and the Wi-Fi is cut off, what out of these three songs would you save from the, from the ether of the internet? What song would you download? I would, I would definitely download the first one. Yes. Yeah. Because it reminds me a lot of my childhood, and I think that it would be a nice, a nice memory to keep having all the time. Um, Gorgeous. Thank you very yeah, much, Cupcake. It was a pleasure. This was the Bleaches BBC with the performer Cupcake, also the collaborator with 
other artists such as Persia, who you can hear on previous episodes if you find on uh, bleachesbbc.tumblr.com. Check out the website and look forward to new episodes with other influential people of Berlin. Until next time, I hope you have a very good time.